Welcome to our continuing 2019 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Today, we are so pleased to have Reed Kaiser, MS founder and chief consultant of Kaiser Healthcare Solutions, LLC. At Kaiser Healthcare Solutions, Reed applies his innovation, leadership, and industry experience to build collaborative solutions for clients associated with quality measurement, analytics, and reporting tools, and business systems design. Prior to Kaiser Healthcare Solutions, or KHS, Reed was the executive lead for an industry-leading analytics software solution for quality measurement, reporting, and improvement. As a general manager, he was responsible for profit and loss, product development and delivery, and client support. Reed also served as United Health Group's National Director in the Clinical Excellence Division, where he managed operations and analytics associated with accredi accreditation, HEDIS, and performance improvement initiatives, and developed enterprise-wide business intelligence tools. He led multiple member engagement strategies and programs that had significant impact to United Health Group's quality performance results and health plan rankings. Prior to work at United Health Group, Reed served in a variety of capacities at NCQA, the nation's largest accreditor of health plans. As director of HEDIS policy and manager of data collection, he led teams that managed HEDIS measure specification development and maintenance, customer support and data collection. Reed also worked with CAQH in their efforts to drive industry efficiencies and healthcare administration transactions. He managed teams to produce CAQH's annual index reports that summarized cost and value for the healthcare industry associated with using electronic administrative transactions. Reed is an, is an adjunct instructor at George Washington University Medical School within its Department of Clinical Research and Leadership. He also routinely participates in industry speaking engagements addressing quality measurement, clinical and operational process improvement, and value-based care. Reed received a BS in biochemistry and biophysics from the University of Houston and an MS in evaluative clinical sciences from Dartmouth. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. So, Reed, welcome. 
And thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me, and I welcome everyone for attending to today's uh, presentation. So. Um, today I'll be talking about the uh, understanding the healthcare quality measure data landscape and what we start to hear more of is data is the new oil. And so with that, I'd like to provide uh, everyone in this session a deeper understanding of the healthcare quality measure landscape and dive into uh, those different data sources that are available and frequently used as, as we know the value of this data has really come to the forefront as we shift into value-based uh, payment models over uh, fee-for-service. Um, I'll also go into, and just to provide more context, is an overview of the different measure types and understanding what those are and how those are tied to the different data sources that may be used, as well as helping you all understand the strengths and weaknesses of each of those data types that are used. And in closing, I'd like to just give a, a glimpse or my perspective into what the future of what quality measurement may look like and uh, what we look for as far as um, moving forward with the use of healthcare data to improve the healthcare delivery system and, and the value that goes with it. And we'll provide those trends and insights uh, there at the end. So let me set the stage with why quality mat matters and really putting this into the context as, as we drive to value and go beyond what historically to this point um, or within the last few years has really been a matter of just compliance and reporting, whether that's a health plan reporting to NCQA for HEDIS or hospitals and health systems reporting the Oryx measures to the Joint Commission or some of the other reporting requirements like MIPS uh, to CMS as well as many of the other CMS requirements or other state requirements that are there. But the reason why we're here, or while I'm, why I, I am in the quality world and why it matters is it really comes out of the Institute of Medicine's um, six aims, which IOM is now the National Academy of Medicine, but really looking at it from at the end of the day when we're delivering healthcare, we want it to be safe, we want it to be effective, we want it to be efficient, we want it timely, we want it at the right place at the right time, obviously. Uh, we want it to be patient-centered because at the end of the day, it's, it's, that's what we're here for is to improve the quality of life for, for patients and their family. And we also want to be equitable in understanding that there are a limited set of resources that are out there when it comes to delivering uh, fair and equal health care. And then also really the drivers behind uh, quality beyond that is that, you know, once again, if, if, if you measure something, you have the ability to approve it and it drives that accountability and gives those improvement cycles or models to help in, in really focusing on this in a world where we have an increasing um, amount of costs that are associated with healthcare and recognizing that those resources are limited. And then lastly, really where we've seen a lot of the, the growth over the last five years, or I'd say even 10 years with the implementation from CMS with the Medicare STARS, um, but we are shifting to a system that is rewarding higher performance that really is looking at the value and outcomes that are delivered over volume. So that shift from value to volume or from fee for service to fee for um, outcomes is really some of those other things that make this really important and why we should understand um, quality and quality measurement and the data that's associated with, with that. Now, the IHI or the Institute for Healthcare Improvement originally coined the triple aim 
um, behind quality, uh, and you'll see this out there, the quadruple aim, and, and honestly, I see this more and more um, in the importance of having a quadruple aim and, and not only recognizing the, the first three uh, bullets that you see here, but really recognizing at the end of the day, the role that the provider, the caregivers, or those at the front line play. I really, nothing new. I, I know we hear more and more about provider burnout. Um, and from my perspective on, on the other side and being on that quality administrator and implementer side, we also have that frustration and burnout that goes um, with it as well. So it's very complex, it's very complicated, and that's some of the pieces that I'll, I'll talk about here in a minute. And at the end of the day, um, you know, quality, it is. It is taking that extra step, and it can be in the pressures of today's environment, work on top of work that we're currently doing. And historically, or even currently, it, it hasn't been the most efficient and effective at the, the clinical levels of care, and where that information is probably the most important in really helping to drive those clinical decisions and driving outcomes. So we do need to continue to work, and we are evolving towards uh, a better model or a better system of quality measurement and and, and those feedback loops. Um, and I'll sit here too at the end of the day to just put the the human touch on it is that we all need teams or we all want to be part of teams that are motivated, engaged, and part of that solution. It really goes back to some of those things around having a you know a successful business, especially when it's customer oriented. And that you want to have happy employees and have if you have happy employees that ship typically or should lead to having happy customers. And so when we really enjoy um, and we have a say in what we're doing, um, we are more efficient, we are more effective and we, we are more engaged. So I just don't want to um, understate or underscore really that importance of what it means for us that are in the front lines implementing and understanding quality and quality measurement. Um, we all know the healthcare system is extremely complex in many ways, structurally and politically. For success, we need to consider each of these stakeholder groups and their roles in addressing industry needs. Um, but we have to think about it. Does change, is it most successful when it comes from the top down or the bottom up? And there's, there's not a right or wrong answer to that. Historically, it has been uh, more so from the compliance level from government and payers pushing down from down to the front lines where they've had to more react or, or do um, as they've been instructed around quality improvement and quality measurement. Now, in my opinion, this, this does uh, hinder innovation in some regards, not that we don't have innovation and things are moving forward, um, but really where I see real world change in having that, it does need to be driven from those that are actually doing the work. Um, I've sat in that chair of managing from above, uh, and I know it's not easy um, from that perspective. And I, I've, I've had the opportunities to work with providers and even patients on the other side and trying to help do things from the bottom up. So it is, it is very complex, um, and there's not necessarily a right answer, but it is something that we have to keep in mind in approaching it from, from both directions. And in my experience in being a healthcare quality professional over the past 20 years, um, I'm not sure even as I, as a patient, have had much of a role from the bottom up. And we talk about the shift to consumerism, um, which is starting to build or to gain some momentum. Um, and it is starting to come full circle and really 
um, where we need to view things more from the result of our societal views on health as well. So you could look at it from the bottom of this graphic as patients driving it through consumerism, but then also as a societal um, perspective and, and just our different um, ways of approaching things and driving us from, from society uh, on the outside of the, the layers there and, and, and still having obviously the role of government regulations and then obviously payers and then drilling down into the actual execution delivery and health systems and, and healthcare administration and then obviously from healthcare providers. And you know fortunately as is, is, is much as we have historically relied on pol policymakers and haven't had um, as much in the way of consumerism to drive quality and value, um, fortunately there are many of us out there that are pushing to do that right thing. Um, but as we all know and live and breathe in looking at this, unfortunately, it is a, a big onion for us to, to bite into. Um, so let me just quickly go through just examples of these different layers of the onion. And I won't go through all of these in details, but I like to group them in. We have the regulators, the certifiers and accreditors. Uh, you could also put in um, state agencies on here. Uh, you can see the National Conference of State Legislators, but also state Medicaid agencies would also um, fit into some of those roles as, as regulators and uh, oversight organizations that, that are there that push some of these compliance requirements. Um, next up, we have the payers and purchasers. So think of the health plans or the, the business groups or employers that are out there, the ones that are um, handling a lot of the financial payment. As we know, it's um, for individuals, it's a, it can be very costly and expensive. So we have these organizations or health insurance companies and payers that are responsible for um, determining, or I should say, paying for those different costs and services and, and going into that are being in that position where they have to determine where those resources are allocated and how um, how payment models are set up and, and made. And then also you have industry and professional associations that are representing those different stakeholder groups um, in, in the different areas, whether it's from specific um, professional societies or uh, different uh, consumer advocates or others or, or industry associations like the American Hospital Association or on the plan side, American Association of Health Insurance Plans. Um, these also play a vital role in, in representing the, the industry or the professional component of, of the stakeholders. Then we also have these different advocates or technical support that are out there. Those drivers, I mentioned Institute for Healthcare Improvement. At the beginning, um, you have the different grant funders and foundations like Kaiser Family Foundation, Robert Wood Johnson and others. But then you also have different consumer advocates that are out there um, representing the patients there as well as other um, industry groups like the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, and that's just to mention one, there's several others in different areas within the ecosystem, but really out there promoting, advocating, and providing that, that support as we go through this journey of quality improvement and quality measurement. And within that, you start to get the different quality measure stewards. So this is a, a snapshot or an example or a set of examples of those different organizations. I mentioned the Joint Commission and NCQA and, and CMS, but we have quality measures that are developed by these different organizations or entities that, that are listed that really provide that set of standardized um, measures that have gone through an appropriate um, scientific process to 
vet the measures to make sure they are following clinical guidelines and they are uh, able to be implemented um, so that they're reliable, accurate, and valid as well. So these are these are the ones that really are setting those technical specifications or requirements for doing those different quality measures. And putting this all together, I know this, there's a lot on this slide. I would really, in putting that all into context of what we just talked about, I would view this slide as really, this is that engine of quality measurement. So once again, here we have another layer of complexity that we have to, to keep in mind in, in how we're approaching quality improvement and quality measurement. And now, um, now let me just speak a little bit about the quality performance measurement types as we build into getting into the actual data pieces and the data component of the, the presentation here today. So once again, here we are seeing in the context of multiple layers or multiple types, um, I'll say multiple types of metrics and really trying to determine um, what is value or how do we measure value. Uh, the data elements, uh, the possibilities obviously may seem endless. Uh, measures can be as simple as providing cost or resource utilization. Uh, things like was a ser service provided and, and even though that service may have been provided or prescribed, it may not have been completed. So think about even though we may be doing certain things, it may not be actually happening on the other end with the, the patient's ability to get that care or to follow the, the regimen. Um, and then there's also deeper constructs that go into patient reporting and down into biological and clinical results within these different measures. And I'll give a little bit more detail on each of the, the types here and what kind of um, data is underneath. But it really was Donna Bedian that led the way in the conceptual models of evaluating healthcare quality, starting with those structural process and outcomes measures that you may be familiar with. Um, and if you're not, just to give a little bit of an overview, I'll start with structural. Um, so think of structural measures are measures that things like are providers qualified and credentialed? Are staffing levels adequate? Does the equipment work properly? Um, all of this is examples of having those structural pieces in place. Um, but we have to recognize the limitation that just because these structural components are there doesn't necessarily guarantee quality, but it does provide that foundation uh, to build upon or to measure. And, and many of the accreditation and certification standards are structural in, in, in nature, and they are pretty easy to, to measure those types of things around uh, our providers credentialed and what are the staffing levels or what are the different uh, policies and procedures that are in place to ensure that the basics are being accounted for in delivering um, quality and safe care. Um, financial, so this is another one I would say is a, can be fairly straightforward. It's similar to structural in that it's not gonna guarantee quality, um, but it does provide metrics on either the financial health of an organization or research resource use that's being um, used within the allocation of those services or resources. And this can ultimately, or the, the financial piece, and when we're talking about value, it cost is obviously a component or the resources is obviously a component. So the financial piece can also be tied together with others when we're looking at value measures. And I'd say for the most part, it, it is easy to measure. It should should be available in most of those financial uh, systems that that or resource management systems that are being used. 
Um, next up, going back to the right, is process. So this is where we, one is measuring, did the proper events take place in delivering care? So thinking about it from an evidence-based um, delivery, delivery guideline, um, was care given in the right place at the right time? Was it the right treatment? You know, on and on with the different pieces there. Uh, most measures today are typically process measures. Um, keep in mind they are capturing those things. It, you know, did the right thing happen in the right place, the right treatment with the right provider? Um, but they still don't capture if the patient actually got better. It's mainly that did providers or caregivers do the work with the work that they were supposed to do. But we operate with those and, and we trade off the balances of the cost and burden to do a measure like this with the assumption that if the right things were done, then we get we should be getting the right results. So most of the process steps, these can be captured through administrative data sources. And we'll talk a little bit more or provide examples of that uh, in a few slides down here later. Um, next up is, is outcome measures, and you see a couple of different types, and there's several different types and flavors that are out there of outcome measures. Um, ultimately, with outcomes measures, we want to know if the healthcare goals were achieved uh, clinically as well as for the patient's well-being and their experience. Um, however, the challenge is for providers that many of these factors may not be under the, the provider or the caregiver's control. So think about things like social determinants, a patient's compliance, or even the patient's ability to engage in their treatment or to have access to what they need. Um, these, these components definitely become a major factor when it comes to measuring outcomes. Now we can simplify some of these measures to look at intermediate outcomes. And what I mean by intermediate outcomes is to look at things like cholesterol or HbA1c levels um, and if those are being controlled through through lab data. So looking at that, we'd say yes, if a if if the if the A1c level is is less than nine or lower, then that should be leading to um, a better result or a better outcome. Um, that's an intermediate outcome measure. So it, it also could be an example of where um, thinking about it from the process level, you may be prescribed um, a medication, um, but there's different factors. Is, is that medication effective for that particular patient or did the patient even fill the prescription? So you can see once again where there's some limitations on these different measures, whether they're the intermediate outcomes measures um, or the process measures, but the true, the true outcome measures would really have to go deeper into not only measuring did the did the patient take the medication and did they control the blood level, but did it actually achieve better health? Um, we can have well-controlled blood levels. We can take our medications, but it, sometimes we may not be actually improving our health. So a true outcome measure um, should be measuring those actual clinical uh, results that uh, the patient is um, improving their health. Um, another, another type, and this is more of a newer um, development that's come out, um, a lot of this goes on in the oncology world uh, around patient reported outcome measures. So here's where uh, the measures uh, through survey mechanisms and interviews, et cetera, they basically come into these patients to get their input um, on their sense of well-being and their treatment, as well as their their functional status. So it's really truly measuring what's the pa how does the patient feel 
um, their course of treatment is going and are they getting the outcomes that uh, they they are looking for if they or they need. However, these can become very very complex and very and do that very quickly. And also individual patients, especially if you think about somebody with a lot of complex comorbidities and multiple diseases. Um, there's the survey, you know, uh, you know, over overload where they're ask, being asked to, you know, literally do three, four, five surveys. So this can also be a factor in, in getting these completed as well as just the complexity of managing all those different um, surveys that they're being asked for their outcomes. Now, at the end of the day, I, me personally as a patient, I would want to walk out of my doctor's office or after doing a course of treatment feeling like I got everything. And to me, that is the beginning of, of having value is the first step is, did I get everything that I needed to achieve better health? Now, from a um, survey measure perspective or from this, it, it can be subjective and it can be biased and reported uh, and how it's reported and the response that's given through these survey measures. Um, but it does carry importance to, to know from a patient's perspective um, what it is that they're getting and in, in, in giving that evaluation of the system and providing some of those insights into um, those other measures that, that can tie back to structure and process and other clinical outcomes if they're they're done correctly uh, with the provider and the patient working together as a team to achieve those outcomes. And that's what ultimately would be getting to, to measuring or determining value. So here we are today with literally thousands of healthcare performance measures that health plans, providers, others are held accountable for under regulatory requirements and even payment models. So now more than ever, the pressures are mounting for quality um, as we shift those payment models from, from volume to value and really trying to push and pay for achieving the best outcomes at the most appropriate level of resources and cost. And this is where we hear more and more of, and I won't take credit, I didn't create, come up with data as the new oil. This is something I've been hearing uh, frequently out there in the field, but data is the new oil. Um, now I could go deeper into this on my opinions on free markets and, and capitalisms and reading into this, but the, the value of it is becoming ex extremely, extremely um, important in, in understanding um, the uses of it, the availability of it, and tying it together. Now, objectively, I want to help cover the understanding of these layers and the types of data that need to be mined or extracted for getting to that goal of measuring quality and ultimately getting to value. So that's where I say it's important to understand these data types and limitations and the strengths of them as we talk about data as being the new oil. Now, keep in mind, we should be aware that these costs in finding, mining, and I'll even say refining the data and turning those into usable insights, that does, does come with some cost. And that's something we have to keep in mind as we're balancing that fair and equitable and resource equation. So here's the beginning or the overview of the, the, the primary quality measure data sources, and we'll go through each of these as we, as we progress through the, the slide build here. Um, we'll start with medical records. We'll talk about administrative databases. Uh, I touched a little bit on surveys. I'll go a little bit more into that. And then other supplemental sources like patient registries or professional registries, um, lab data, pharmacy data. 
and then some, and we'll close on a little, talking a little bit of some of these emerging technologies around data sources and data aggregation and help how, how that's coming into play a role in, in facilitating bringing all this, this data together. But the key thing, just looking at this slide, is that there's a lot of data sources that are out there and it, it is imperative to understand the cost and benefits of, of each of these as we develop and implement and ultimately have to report and be held accountable um, for quality measures. So beginning with medical records, um, this is the one that's from the beginning of time we'll say has, has been the, the gold standard. It's the source of truth. It's, you know, from a legal clinical perspective, it, it's where we go to determine um, what medical information or what, what services of who, what, where, when, how, and why um, that occurred or, or for the patient. Um, so it is ultimately the, 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 the source of truth and from a lot of um, measure steward perspectives or measure developers or from those quality measures perspective, it really, the information needs to be tied back to or verified or validated to the medical record. So that's, that's still the primary place where at the end of the day we look and say, do, did this happen or did it not? What was this the actual result for the patient um, is going back to the medical record. However, on the other side that we have to balance is that when we're doing large scale studies or measurements, this does require a lot of manual human intervention to go out and physically retrieve, whether that's paper medical records or to go out to an EHR and download a PDF form or to review the EHR and then extract that information and interpret it. Um, it can be very complex and very uh, resource intensive, um, even given that we have made a lot of advancements in the EHRs and with different capabilities within it. Um, there's still a fair amount of unstructured written data that occurs within these electronic sources as well. So it hasn't truly become um, fully interoperable or, or having that ability to completely get accurate uh, unobstructed data out of the rec medical record. At the same time, we know that as patients, we may have seen multiple providers or have seen multiple providers over time with different medical records. So not always are they tied together. So it may require that someone goes and visits multiple provider sites uh, or EHR systems to get that true view of the patient's medical history. So this, in developing measures, it should really be used judicially, given that time and cost that's involved in extracting that information. But we can't discount the importance of the accuracy and the source of truth of, of medical records. Next are the administrative and claims databases. So primarily coming from those payers or health plans that would have um, large amounts of information across their different claims that they're receiving from their members or patients and from providers in their network. Um, these administrative databases typically um, are driven off of enrollment or eligibility systems. Obviously claim systems would be a big part of that where Providers are submitting the claim with the diagnosis code, the procedure codes, et cetera, they, they go into there. And then, then it goes through that process of adjudication and what's, what's submitted for the actual um, the request for payment uh, from the provider and then what's the negotiated 
price that goes back. So it's also including a lot of that financial or cost information that, that would be going or being processed within this 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 repository. It is, um, if you think about, it, I mean, there's obviously the 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 development and maintenance of these large systems that go into it, um, but on scale, it is less expensive. It's embedded within those legacy business operations that are going, and there are standardized business rules and codes. HIPAA, for one, is one way we may think of HIPAA primarily from a privacy perspective. Um, HIPAA is also, or is primarily, focused on addressing a lot of those um, transactions that are happening between payers and providers in the delivery of care. And there are those HIPAA business rules as well as other coding systems that are used to standardize it. So that's one of the other positives within the administrative data, data world is that you have that standardization or those systems in place. And it's also obviously able to handle large amounts of data. Um, and if you have the resources, the, and typically you would obviously at a, at a health plan or others, is having that ability to, to query in, in near real time. So if you're wanting to do a study, uh, having that ability to go in and to do some data mining, um, that that's going to be a lot easier to do than to go out and to retrieve a, a, you know hundreds or if not thousands of medical records uh, to do a study or to do a do a do a measurement. Um, now the clinical data is uh, say less reliable and probably more so less robust than that than what the medical record has. Uh, in some cases, it's, or most cases, it may just, like I said earlier, maybe based on the diagnosis code or um, the procedure codes that are there. It may not have that clinical information. Um, it also is coming from multiple different sources. So think about a health plan or payer having hundreds, if you're a large national, hundreds of thousands of different providers that are submitting claims or other clearing houses or others that are coming in. So you're gonna have multiple mapping uh, situations and the data needs to come in, it needs to be cleaned, it needs to be validated for accuracy. So that would be one limitation is to um, understand that there are steps in the process that can break or may not be mapped correctly that could lead to inaccuracies in the data that is collected within those databases. Now, patient surveys, um, there's the different types. I touched on these a little bit earlier, uh, just in the in the overview um, and, and even some of these examples that are here. I think the primary thing to think about from patient surveys that I haven't touched on is that it can be very expensive to fill the surveys. Uh, there's a lag in getting those results. So it may not provide timely information for a provider to take action. It may be a year down the road that they're able to see um, how well they're doing and, and identifying what needs to be provided to improve uh, that goes in as well. And then you can also run into just low response rates and getting people to complete the surveys and having a sample size that's large enough to have validity is the other major challenge with patient surveys. Supplemental databases, these are things that have been created on the outside of those other uh, primary sources that we've seen. So health plans and payers are starting to use more and more of these supplemental databases to build a bigger picture or more complete picture and bringing these uh, different data sources together through things like population health, uh, care management, care coordination systems. Um, and then also plans are taking that, the medical record data that they are able to collect are doing that throughout the year and doing on, ongoing or prospective data collection to supplement their clinical databases as well to have a more 
complete picture of the patient and the care that they've they've had. Um, and really, if you think about these systems that we talk about, um, they really do lie, lie at the heart of managing the care. So we're thinking about it from the health plan at, a, at an aggregate level, seeing all the different providers, um, for better or worse, are the ones that are in the best position to um, see and coordinate that. So they have that ability to track the members and, 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 and do that or coordinate that care delivery amongst those multiple providers that a patient or member may have. But once again, when we get into doing these different uh, sources that are out there, you have to think about the accuracy, what's the level of detail and completeness, and then the timeliness of being able to get that information, and then obviously linking disparate data sources um, that aren't necessarily all connected in one place to one care delivery system does require a fair amount of technical resources to build those pipes to flow into a single source or a single data warehouse. Now, um, there's these other registry types of uh, data sources that are out there. Um, typically, these are coming from professional organizations that are focused on a specific quality improvement topic or condition. Um, they've been addressed to adapt to some of those gaps in the data collection uh, to build these pieces out around those specific um, the specific conditions, but they also can be used over time to do things more longitudinally and to combine multiple data sources. So you really can look at those patient outcomes over time. However, once again, they're very resource intensive to, to manage. Um, there's a lot of them that are out there. To, so to try to bring them all together, if you are in the health plan space or the payer space can be a challenge. Um, and then even on the, the side of the caregiver, especially with a health system, it, it may require a dedicated team member or team leader that acts as the registrar to collect and report that information into, into the registry. Now, this other set is the ancillary service data. So I typically talk about these as lab data, pharmacy data. So these are other supplemental data sources that are typically there to provide, once again, going back to the example of controlling uh, blood blood levels or blood tests. So think about controlling those results and having the lab data for those intermediary or intermediate outcomes measures and how are patients doing with one either getting the the diagnostic or or controlling to a certain level. And the same thing too from the pharmacy side and getting into uh, the dispensing of medication, not only the ordering of medications but the dispensing of medication that can be used as well. And thinking about some of those other ancillary service providers out there, for example, like hospice and long-term care that also may have insight and information on, on pay, patients and how um, they're receiving the care in those different settings. Now the challenge is once again, we get into a lot of the accuracy and validity and just bringing all that data together. Once again, there can be a lot of mapping and understanding the, the data provenance and the accuracy of that information is something that would have to be validated to ensure that it's accurate and reliable. And in some cases, just depending on how um, contracts are set up, it may also come at an additional cost to procure that from a third party or the one that has it. There may only be a limited set of data that is given and it may require additional um, cost to get to the layer of information that is needed. So once again, thinking about it as data as a commodity or oil, um, that is another thing to, to, to keep in mind. 
Now, lastly, just thinking about it from the emergency technologies and platforms. So these are things that are coming. I, I won't go into too much detail here, but think about what we're faced with, with what we've had historically and where we're going today is technology uh, exponentially improves or, or grows. So we have the in-home or wearable devices that are starting to come to the forefront. Telemedicine is really starting to, to gain a lot of ground and being used um, more frequently. Um, there's also different um, HIPAA-compliant mobile care coordination and, and communication platforms where care providers literally have the applications on their smartphone device or, or, or tablet and are able to uh, use or enter that information and coordinate that care and capture it there as well. Now, from bringing this all together, some of the, the, the good things that are um, that have been going on and are starting to really take a, a role is, is thinking about health information exchanges and having the information come in from the different providers or health systems, uh, measuring quality and, and, and aggregating that information um, on the patient to, to get a view of what that quality and what the, the outcomes are looking like for, for those patients um, within the system. So that's something that's really started to take off around interoperability that's there as well. And some of these other um, services or data hubs and, and aggregators that are out there, I'd say similar to health information exchange, but probably more so on the private side and being aggregators of, of information across those multiple sources. And then I'll just leave it lastly with the open question of what role is Amazon, Apple, or these other tech leaders going to play as, as things continue to grow and evolve? We know there's the interest. Um, we're still waiting to kind of see. Apple's been doing several things with the personal uh, EHRs on, the, on their phones, but um, it really will be a question of what we see in the next three to five years coming from these technology innovators and disruptors. So keep that in mind as we move forward. So I know that was probably a lot to take in. Um, fortunately, this is being recorded and the slides are provided so you can go back as needed. Um, and if I haven't overwhelmed you with the complexity of this all on top of what is a complex healthcare delivery and payment system as we know, the positive is we are making tremendous progress regardless of if the data is the new oil or if we are in a gold rush to get data and build analytics for insights to quantify the value. Uh, we definitely are in a hyper growth stage in leveraging healthcare information and in, in, in HIT. Now, our challenge will be, does the technology and data cost become a barrier or will technology and data availability be an effective efficiency that we gained? So there's probably some mix of that that goes on, but we do have to think about that. And we've seen or had similar concerns in the pharmaceutical and life science spaces where we know there's been spectacular miracles in treatment that have been achieved, but we also know that individuals can't afford a $40,000 per month treatment um, to do that, but we recognize that there are costs to research and development and innovation. Now, my, my projection looking into the crystal ball is data and technology in healthcare will be the next area where we are faced with the cost of innovation and research and development and potentially becoming that barrier. Now, fortunately, there's, we're, we're looking at that, I should say, as, as a whole as an industry. Obviously, the federal government and the Office of National Coordinator are playing a major role in that and um, trying to address those different challenges and concerns that are there. Um, but we will need to determine where these costs fit 
into the limited amount of financial resources that we have to pay for healthcare. So interoperability and data liquidity will really need to be addressed as we continue to move forward in, in making these positive steps and really working in public and private partnerships and through through the leadership of, of the different uh, stakeholders that are out there and really working collaboratively. And, and we've seen great things that have come from the ONC around data blocking provisions, so making that data more available. And we do recognize that privacy of personal health information is important and does need to be protected, so that's a challenge that's there. But by having these provisions to allow for that exchange of, of providers and caregivers and, and, and health plans is very important. And then also, it is important as we move forward with standards to have things like the work and efforts that's being made by HL7 and fire standards and embedding uh, more of these quality metrics into uh, electronic health records and, and getting the information or the data at the source of, of care. So those are really the, the key things. And I'd say the forecast has sun in it regardless of if we're looking at it from the top down or the bottom up. And in closing, before I go to questions, I'll just leave it with this. Can consumers, that is us as patients, achieve a level of competency and ownership in our own personal health information? That's a huge question. And it's easy for me to think about that, or I'm sure for many of you, because we have the education, we have the working experience with this, but we do have to recognize the general consumer or patients really do need to be empowered to play a significant role in driving healthcare quality improvement and really achieving a value-based system that flips those drivers from the top down to the bottom up so that we can get everything working in between. So thank you very much and I will open it up to questions. Thank you so much, Reed. Uh, that was a wonderful presentation and I do have a few questions here. So. Uh, first one, uh, can you speak about some of the latest developments in digitizing quality measures to reduce the data collection and reporting burden? Yeah, so touching on that, so the, the last slide there where, where I was mentioning HL7 and, and the fire standards. So, um, and this is something that's been key in, in our world, I know in, in as far as the, the work that we've been doing in consulting and the stakeholders that we work with, is that there is a large push and there is support from multiple stakeholders in, in moving these measures from um, what has been the the, I guess the current paradigm of doing a lot of the manual collection that's coming through the things like medical records tying to administrative databases in these registries to having what are called electronic clinical quality measures or ECQMs. Um, and these basically take those measures and put them into a structured language, a clinical quality language or CQL that is computer readable, but it also does have a human readable element to it so you understand actually what the measure is asking for. But it is put into a language that machines understand or EHRs or other systems to basically gain the efficiency of automatically um, calculating those results through direct data data um, acquisition and, and processing. So this is going to be, um, or this is a big push, and we're seeing a lot of this coming, whether that's the Joint Commission um, has, I would say, has probably been at the forefront in moving their OREX measures uh, over 
to um, to ECQMs uh, in doing that. So that's been uh, one use case that's moving forward. And then NCQA on the health plan side with HEDIS is also starting to introduce a set of electronic clinical data system measures and looking at how to uh, potentially respecify the HEDIS measures into ECQMs as well. So I would say that's where the future is and just going back to trading off the costs and burden. Um, that's where the most, I think it makes the most sense if we, if we can get to it. However, the caveat is um, it takes a lot of technical resources, a lot of very smart people and can be um, expensive and, and can be um, take some time to, to get implemented. So it does come with some, some trade-offs, but ultimately the long run with a lot of technology, it does bring efficiency um, in, in the long term and as we scale things much to a much larger um, amount. Okay, great. All right, this next question is, uh, it's really interesting. Um, what efforts are being made by thought leader organizations and policymakers to recognize that there's a massive amount of measures that are out there and it's impossible for organizations right. or providers to truly focus on all of them? It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's 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 nothing new. And it, yes, it's literally thousand. I I feel like I heard five thousand the other day um, that are out there. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I lived and breathed it from the health plan perspective, where it wasn't thousands, but it was hundreds. And just recognizing trying to prioritize is huge. So, I know right. in the 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 provider world or hospital world, it can be daunting. But the there is um, a lot of focus coming from well CMS. Once again, where we see the federal government being a, a lot of the the leaders in this, and and they're really starting to look at meaningful what they're calling meaningful measures. So evaluating um, what measures really bring um, the most value, or, or I should say, are comprehensive, and really getting to what's needed at the core of delivering quality care and value care. So there is a lot of effort going and recognizing we have a lot of measures, but really, what are the most important? measures that are there. We'll, we'll continue to have, I think, the 5,000 measures because everyone, or think about it from all the different um, specialties or where we all sit, there's a lot of things going on in, in healthcare. And we, we do want measures to um, measure the different things that we do, even because it can be different from one specialty or one um, one healthcare organization to another. But then those cases, those should be used more from an internal quality improvement perspective and not necessarily from a public reporting or from a, um, a reimbursement perspective. So CMS is a large driver in, in doing that. Um, there's also a lot of work coming out of the National Quality Forum to recognize um, or look at, can we move from you know individual measures to things like measure sets, thinking about things more from a composite perspective. So bringing those multiple measures together to get to more of a composite score. And then ultimately, can we have measurement systems? So once again, tying tying those electronic clinical measures, having them embedded and with less human resource and interaction, having those measures calculated more at a systems level there as well. So those are some of the two, the two major ones. But I'd say a lot of the talk out there uh, a lot of the things from coming from thought leaders is, is really starting to, to recognize it. The question will be, um, what will we see? What will we recognize? I'd, I'd say in, in five years from now, and hopefully, hopefully we are to a place where it is truly a set of a handful or, or a small, 
um, small bucket of um, meaningful measures that, that we can use ultimately, I'd say, as patients and consumers. Right. Yeah, I can see how it could get out of hand in one way because we all love stats and measurements and everything, but it can, yeah, it could start to get out of hand. Okay, so without mentioning names, what type of companies and business models are developing solutions that take into account the importance of the cost and burden of quality measurement and data collection and processing? Sure. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention a name because I already mentioned it, but the, the, the Joint Commission, I think, is a great example of, of where they're making those efforts to um, move to the electronic ones and take, take mm -hmm. that into account. Um, but no, there's a lot of there's a lot of investment um, and and I should say venture capital that that is out there looking to address these different things. Um, you know the the key thing if you think about things like Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure. There's a lot of things that are happening in the cloud-based world where it's providing these different um, software packages or toolkits or toolboxes in a cloud environment where um, the healthcare organization, whether that's a provider, a hospital, health system or health plan are able to um, submit their raw data into the cloud and then whoever it is that's developing the measure is able to specify that and have the algorithms to run through all of that detailed um, data, whether it be claims or, or, or clinical data, and return that that result um, there and have it where it's really scalable and 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 quick to to do, and then very efficient and doesn't require a lot of additional vendors or service providers to come in and to help bring the data together and to to calculate it and ultimately generate the results. So that's um, where I see is a there's an opportunity and there's companies and businesses that are doing this and I think having a lot of success with it um, and, and making money obviously to, 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 to be profitable and to maintain uh, their growth. But at the same time too, by gaining the efficiencies, by putting things in, in the cloud and having access to these toolkits um, in a much cheaper licensing type of arrangement, does does pass on some cost savings to those that are having to implement and report the, the measures and, and, and the data. Okay, well, thank you so much, Reed. Uh, do you have any other words of advice or anything you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, it's just one, it's, um, you know, it's been, it's a journey, right? Not a, not a destination on this. Um, I've seen it from, you know, going back to starting my career in this and from the 1990s to where we are today. Um, what it, is it where I'd like for it or where I would have hoped for it to be when I started. Um, not quite, but I always have high expectations and <laughs> try to push, but I will say that we have seen tremendous progress that's coming forward. So my words of advice is to think about, you know, data as the new oil, understand what 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 the data is that's out there and what the, the cost and trade-offs of it are and to understand, um, what are going to be the, the the best ways of measuring quality so that it's not burdensome, it's not expensive, and ultimately it's delivering value to to patients and allowing for providers or physicians and clinicians to have those relationships with their patients. Okay, wonderful. Great advice. So um, thank you so much again for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
Yeah, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, attendees, thank you also for um, being with us today. And please use the contact information on the screen for any questions you have for Reed. And if you send us any questions, we'll be sure to forward them on. If you think of them later, um, please remember your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. Uh, also, uh, Reed mentioned that this is being recorded. So later on, uh, if you wanted to look at it again, you can always find it on our YouTube channel. And the link for that will be um, emailed to you as well following uh, the broadcast. There's no need to request either um, CEU certificate that will be emailed to you automatically. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.